Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. So all month of October, we're looking at our doctrinal distinctives as a Reformed church and connecting that with Old Testament passages to reveal for us not only what these doctrinal distinctives mean, but really connect with our situation right now and find ways to apply them. So as a Reformed Church, we have the Doctrines of Grace, which we summarize in the acronym, the TULIP. And last week, we looked at total depravity and unconditional election. And today, we'll look at one of the harder things that have come across our distinctives, which is limited atonement. If you're familiar with limited atonement, I hope that this will help nourish and enrich your knowledge more, especially with the way you apply it. And if not, is this your first time hearing it, then that's also good because it will also help shape your growth as a Christian. So we'll look at limited atonement through the lens of this story in Genesis where it's another wilderness experience. And this is why we've entitled this series Tulip in the Wilderness because we are looking at the journey of God's people in wilderness times. So last week, it was the desert for Moses and the Israelites as they were moving from Egypt to the Promised Land. And today, we're looking at wilderness. That means waiting. How has this pandemic made you wait? Or even before the pandemic, has there been something that you've been waiting for? Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a break. Maybe it's a decision that you wanted to make. Or maybe it's an answer or relief or healing. You know, different people have different things that we're really aiming for. And sometimes what we aim for is something that does not come easily to us. And this is what the wilderness experience represents. Being in the wilderness as a metaphor, you don't really know when things will change. You don't know when you will arrive and find an answer. You are just there and moving along and somehow trying to survive and continue with your life. Why is this passage a wilderness metaphor? Well, look at Genesis 18, 14. It says, Is anything impossible for the Lord? I will return to you when the season comes around again, and Sarah will have a son. There's no definite description of exactly when this is, but it's just coming around maybe next year, next season. And then there's the promise that Sarah, who's been barren for a long time, who's now aged and socially, I guess, rationally speaking, they don't expect having a child anymore. The messenger of God promises that she will have a son. And that is why in verse 15, Sarah lied saying, I did not laugh. Because she was afraid. But the Lord said, no, you did laugh. 
And sometimes when you're waiting for something and then your waiting becomes a long time, we end up just laughing about it because we don't believe anymore. That's why when we're used to something that is promised but is not always given, we have jokes about it, right? We say, ay, drawing na naman. Architect ka ba? Because you keep drawing up these things. That doesn't usually happen. And so it's like we're a one step in thinking this will happen. But the other end, we're like, will it really happen? And sometimes when you're in that situation that you do not know, it's hard. It's not easy. And I think if I can make this first point very clear, then I hope that this will already bring you comfort to let you know that there's nothing wrong with you when you feel that it's a struggle when you wait. When will we be together in church again is a longing for some of us. When will things be over, the restrictions completely loosen? When will this pandemic end? We're all waiting now. And waiting is tough. Staying at home when you're used to going out, it's not easy. Trying to transition from the life you had before the pandemic to this new normal, it hasn't been easy, brothers and sisters. And maybe some of you have accustomed better than some, but all of us are still in a waiting game. And this is actually perfect because of the next point, but for now, I just want you to understand that if there's something that you've been praying for, if there's something that you've been longing for, if there's something that you know you wanted for so long and it still hasn't happened and you're still waiting, the Bible has space for you. God's Word has room for you. And I hope that you're comforted with the truth that even our ancestors in the faith, the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah, they weren't so perfectly waiting. Sarah laughed. So if you've not done so well waiting, don't be so hard on yourself. Respect and understand the wilderness that you're in. And sometimes that means waiting. Second, Abraham and Sarah were already in this position of waiting. This was the life that they were living. God promised Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. Through your offspring, the world will be blessed. But they don't have a child. How can God's promise happen when they don't have anything to show for? What promises of God have you believed in that you just cannot see is true in your life? Is there a vice that you're trying to change, but you claim and pray and everyone knows that you're trying, everyone knows you're a Christian, but they still see you mess up, which just adds on all these problems? Or maybe you have good moral restraint and you're coming from a high horse position and you're like thinking, why is everyone else not like me? Why is everyone else not doing it the way that's correct? And you're like waiting. Why are these people not changing? And you're like frustrated and you're waiting. And then it's hard. Obviously, the scripture sort of compared and contrasts how Abraham handled the waiting and how Sarah handled the waiting. But whichever side it is, it's hard. And let me tell you, the Bible doesn't only survey the hard circumstance. It adds to it. 
immediately after this exchange, crisis hits. Crisis hits. In verses 20 to 22, the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so blatant that I must go down and see if they are as wicked as the outcry suggests. If not, I want to know. The two men turned and headed towards Sodom, but Abraham was still standing before the Lord. Of course, if you know this story, you're familiar with the reason why Abraham will be conflicted. But even if you're not familiar with the story, just picture this. Abraham and Sarah had to keep saying, they had to find the strength, find the faith to believe that God's promise will happen even if they can't see it, even if there's no immediate proof, even if physically they think it's already impossible. And then immediately after a crisis hits, that is off-tangent, that is not connected to what they're waiting for. God is about to destroy these major cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, of course, if you're a Bible reader, you will know Abraham has a relative there, Lot. That's why he feels, I don't want Lot to perish so suddenly. I want him to be saved, so I, I'm praying for him. That's good. But obviously, if you expand just understanding what this means, there e- probably exists more reasons why Abraham is concerned about these cities. In the Bible, we find that Sodom and Gomorrah are wicked. But if you think about it, what are the stereotype wicked cities that we have? Oftentimes, we think, The greater the city is in terms of capacity, capital, business, the more evil it will have. But the more capital, more business it has, the more it also helps with economy, livelihood, and the way of life. So whether or not you're a Bible reader, you can understand that when God starts thinking about destroying major capital cities, then it becomes an issue. And Abraham is concerned. Abraham is already concerned about his personal life. Now he's being affected by this greater experience. Isn't this all too familiar? Before the pandemic, we all have our problems. Things were not easy and then the crisis hit. Some of us have been struggling already. Some of us have been struggling without even knowing we were struggling. And the pandemic came and just boom, took the rug off our feet and exposed us so much. And this is what's happening here. Abraham was already in an individual familial crisis. They're like torn between, God, is this promise true? And then suddenly a crisis hits. A crisis hits. How have you dealt with ongoing, constant, seemingly simultaneous challenges being thrown at you from all angles? Brother or sister, if you're going through this, I want you to know that God's word has room for you. In this realm of things, this is part of our faith's heritage. Life is not always easy. Even when it's hard, sometimes it becomes harder. And this is what we find here. And that is why we will now venture into how Abraham responds to this crisis. 
he pleads and talks to God and prays to him regarding these cities. And what does he do? Well, in verse 23, Abraham approached God and said, Will you sweep away the godly among the wicked? Will you sweep away the godly among the wicked? Abraham was making a case based on how he understood and learned about God and his character. He is arguing for the case that God is just. And he will not just destroy cities randomly, haphazardly, without any regard for human life. And so he comes and he prays, Will you really sweep away the godly among the wicked? And so the barter ensues. In verse 25, Abraham continues, Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the godly with the wicked, treating the godly and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Abraham is trying. Abraham is trying to reason. Abraham is trying to think of ways to circumnavigate or mitigate or just intervene. And he's actually doing it from a position of strategy. He's not just saying, God, please don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. I have business interests there. God, please just don't destroy these cities. I have family there. God, please just don't destroy these cities because I don't know where I will get my source of goods. Many times that's how we will pray. God, please don't change this thing. Please don't remove this company, this business, this person. God, please don't allow these bad things to happen. We pray this because we're thinking about ourselves. Abraham actually steps ahead of that and he's praying from a position of, God, I know you. You're just. You're not really someone who will kill randomly without considering there may be godly people there. How can you? You are the judge. And I think that Part of the reason why this is the recorded dialogue is Abraham has already moved from those elementary prayers, elementary thoughts, to now these advanced thoughts. And I think when you're in a waiting period, when you're in a waiting mode, when you're, um, you know, when, when nothing seems to move forward and yet you're still stuck in a situation that somehow is open-ended or openly out of your hands or control, you begin to think, you begin to strategize, you begin to evolve into how your attitude, how your perspective is addressing this situation. And that's what I also want to bring up here is, do not take for granted the crisis that you're in. Do not take for granted the crisis that you're in. Because in that crisis, the Lord may be shaping you. In that wilderness, the Lord is sanctifying you. The Lord is transforming you. The Lord is making you grow into the person He wants you to be. That without that wilderness experience, without that crisis intersecting with that wilderness, it won't happen. When our backs are against the wall, something happens. Something is brought up from us. 
if scientifically and physically or physiologically, we understand that suddenly when there's an emergency, when we're faced with danger, adrenaline kicks in. And then somehow we have superhuman strength, superhuman speed, superhuman agility. Then on an emotional, psychosocial level, we should be open that the same thing is happening. An emotional adrenaline kicks in, psychosocial adrenaline kicks in, and then somehow you find yourself exercising strength that you used to never have. But somehow the circumstance brought that out in you. And this is why as Christians, we should not be weak people. We should not be the first to complain. We should not be so easily swayed by our emotions. We should not be grumbling. But we do, diba? You know, I've, I grew up in church. Christians sometimes in church could be the easiest to offend, the most sensitive. Di mo lang na kamayan. You didn't, weren't able to greet. They're offended. You look around. How you hug another person is different from how you hug them. They get offended. They tell you a comment. They think that you didn't act on it. They get offended. Christians could be so easily offended, but if you're a person who is easily offended, how can you engage circumstances like the wilderness without surviving it, without learning what it means to just suck it up and continue? A lot of times it's just easy to chit-chat, to talk, to complain, to point fingers, to blame others. And Abraham could have done that. Sarah could have done that. And now we find that they're not. I'm not saying they didn't. Of course, we don't have record of that. But I'm just saying Abraham has already evolved into this person who can come to God and make a case. And I think that you and I are also evolving at this moment to become people who are growing in the Lord. Past seven months. That's what we've been doing. We've been growing in the Lord. We've been learning things, trying to apply things, and I hope that we continue to grow. And that in itself is a gift because the story, people are saying it invites you into the tension. Abraham starts bargaining with God. He says, if there are 50 good people there, will you save the city? God says, okay, if there are 50 people there, no problem. How many people are living in Metro Manila today? How many people are living in your city today? And you pray for the city not to be destroyed. There are 50 good people. God says, I won't destroy it. Abraham says, 45, 40, 30, 20. From 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20. And he even says, okay, God, how about 10? there are 10 people, good people in the city, will you not destroy it? God says, okay, if there are 10 people, and maybe Abraham's counting already, Lot, his wife, their children, maybe they have best friends who are their neighbors, easily make 10. God says, if there are 10, I won't destroy it. Now, you see this bargaining, you see, you know, Abraham leaves, and then it brings out the tension Why didn't Abraham ask for the minimum? Well, he didn't have to. Ten was the minimum. He already knew the answer. 
the pattern showed that if Abraham did ask for one person, if there's one person that's righteous enough in the city, will you not destroy it? God would have still said, yes, if I find one person, I wouldn't destroy it. So that's not the point. The point is we know what happens next. We know what happens next. God does destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He makes a way for Lot, the relative, to escape. And the whole bargaining thing seemingly is a waste, but it's not. I'll get back to that later, but let's look at this. The point I want to make here as we study this bargaining, then somehow the city still gets destroyed, is nothing we do ever really adds up to our salvation. Nothing we do ever really adds up to our salvation. Only the Lord Jesus could do it, could help us. And the good news is He has. And I think this is something important because in Mark 10, 18, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is how the story in Genesis 18 is completed by Jesus in Mark chapter 10 because the drama unfolding of the bargaining to up to one person, the answer is given here. The answer is not the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Lot escaped, he must have been a good person. That is not the point. The the point of the story was there was no good person. It was God's grace that he chose to let Lot and his family go. And it's not even a complete family. The wife made a mistake, did not follow the instructions, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Point here is Jesus Christ is the revelation that none of us deserve an entitled piece of confidence that says, I'm too important, God will save me. I'm too important for my sake, the world will be well. None of us are like that. None of us are good except God alone. And this God was so gracious, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the good one, the only good person, to be a person, and He who did not know sin, God made to be sin for us, so that in Him, we would become the righteousness of God. None of us are good. But the reason why God was able to save Lot that time because he knows he has a redemptive plan and one day it will cost him his son. And that's what we are. We are the result of God sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And because of that, Because of that, we now have access to God. And that's why whatever it is you're waiting for, whatever it is you're praying for, whatever it is you're you're trying to bargain with God for, it may or may not turn to your favor. But the most important thing is that access. In the wilderness, Such being in the wilderness is such a difficult thing to be, but to have access to converse and engage and pray and listen to the God of heaven and earth is such a gift. That is why, if anything, 
the wilderness brings us closer to God. So if you're not allowing this wilderness experience to shape you and mold you to become closer to God, then you're missing out. Now, with that said, let me make some applications for our doctrinal distinctive limited atonement. Because this is a hard conversation, but maybe certain applications we learn from this story can help us have the right posture when we think about it. In Genesis 18:19, God says, I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then the Lord will give to Abraham what he promised him. God chose Abraham. Was he a good person? Well, let me tell you what could have been happening in Abraham's mind. He bargained for 10. God says, okay, 10 people, I'll save the city. He counted maybe Lot and his family. I'm sure it wasn't absent in Abraham's mind that he thought, maybe I and Sarah can move to Sodom and Gomorrah to add good people there, right? I mean, if you and I were in this position, we're probably starting 10 people. We just need to look for 10 people. Who are the best 10 people that we know? Let's bring them there. Let's make the count. Everything will be okay. That's what human stories are all about, right? Superhero stories, fantasy stories. As long as we make the standard, as long as we make the cut, we will defeat the enemy, we will win the game. But what we find here is there's no cut. There's no good people. And the point of God choosing Abraham was not because he was good, but because God is good. And that's something you and I have to remember when we're looking at limited atonement. We don't start with God saying, oh, I chose some people and I didn't choose the rest. And I will only save these people. If you begin there, it won't end well. But what you have to consider is that God created the world, including man, and man sinned. And none of us are good. We all deserve hell. We all deserve to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. As far as we are concerned, as far as justice is concerned, that's what's just. That's what's just. But God chose people. God chose people like Abraham. God chose people, as we find in the stories, so that his plan will come about. It's not about you and I. It's about God and his plan. Okay? And look at verses 32 to 33. May the Lord not be angry so that I may speak just once more. What if ten are found there? And God said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. Abraham returned home. With the doctrine of limited atonement, what do we find here? The proper attitude is not to start looking who's chosen, who's not chosen. The proper attitude is always interceding and praying for others. You and I, none of us have executive insight into who's saved or not saved. That's why, please, don't ever engage or add to the discussion, ah, saved ba siya? Ah, is he or she saved? Baka hindi sila saved. You and I, we don't know. And honestly, it's not our job to know. It's not our job to make that call. That's God's job. But here we find Abraham interceding for the city. 
interceding for his family. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know if he will make the cut, but he intercedes constantly to the point that he even says, I hope that you will not be angry at me. I know that you will find this ridiculous. So what do we find here? We find here that we need to pray. We need to pray for our cities. We need to pray for the world. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for our relatives. And it might sound impossible. It might sound, it does sound like, what? Like, they don't deserve it. But none of us deserve it. None of us deserve to be chosen. None of us deserve this grace. And Abraham, our, the patriarch, was showing for us the attitude. The attitude we must have when we start applying this. It's not about selecting or deselecting people. It's about coming to God in prayer. God, please have mercy on these cities. Have mercy on my family. Have mercy on my city. Because this is a constant question, right? This is going to be a constant question. You become a Christian and you start hearing this and you're like, what about my family members who are not Christian? What about my friends and close buddies who are not Christian? Well, let's pray for them. That's what we learn here. There are no answers. There are no immediate list. But let's pray for them. And look at this. Even if Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, we know that far into the future after this conversation. But Abraham still prayed. That's not a waste. It's the right posture of living in the gratitude we have under grace. And look at a New Testament passage as we close. John 21 21 to 22. When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus replied, If I want him to live until I come back, what concern is that of yours? Follow me. Sometimes, some of us are bothered not because of the lost. Some of us are bothered because of our fellow Christians. And so we ask God, Bakit siya? Paano siya? And maybe we're like thinking, you know, we're so focused on other people and this is something we need to learn. Whatever will happen to us, whatever has been decided for us, that's under God's sovereign control. Let's surrender that to the Lord because that is His space. Let's stay our lane and just follow Him. Let's not worry about how other people will live, what other people will do, what God has a plan for them. That is God's job. Let's follow Him. So whatever it is God has asked of you, whatever it is the Lord has called you to do, whatever it is God has prepared for you, in that lane, stay there and be faithful. Don't let the other people, don't let other Christians distract you or deter you from doing what God has called you to do. Because let me tell you this, to be honest, if my Christian service is dependent on how other Christians are doing it in front of me, I will not last. None of us will last. We're all sinners. So we have to keep our eyes focused on our Lord Jesus. Let Him do the choosing. Let Him do the working out. And as long as He has called me to do a certain thing, then let me just focus on that. Okay? So I hope that we can learn that these are Three good attitudes to apply limited atonement. Recognize that none of us are deserving of this salvation. It's not about the process of selection. It's about the God who chose us out of 
what we were destined to be, which is hell. And because when, when we realize that change in status, our hearts should have a humble position to intercede and pray for other people. So let's pray for our lost brothers. Let's pray for our government. Let's pray for our cities. Let's pray for our country. Even if you have no reason, even if you find no hope, let's pray for them. Because that space is God's realm to do. And let's stay in our lane and do what God has called us to do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Abraham and Sarah as they waited in the wilderness. Crisis hit and somehow they demonstrated what it means to be uh, saved, to be chosen. That they, they were humble, they were gracious, and they were trusting. Sometimes, Lord, we're humble, but we're not trusting. Sometimes we're uh, gracious, but not humble. And sometimes we're trusting, but neither humble or gracious. We pray that we can develop these three things as Christians. And we'd like to thank you that you are using wilderness experiences to shape us to be more like you. We pray that we can learn to stay in our lane and just be faithful for what you have called us to do, to be. And ultimately, Lord, we trust that you are working everything out according to your plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.